1: Welcome to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. I'm Paul Sweeney, alongside my co-host, Matt Miller.
2: Every business day, we bring you interviews from CEOs, market pros, and
1: Bloomberg experts, along with essential market-moving news. Find the Bloomberg Markets Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and at Bloomberg.com slash podcast.
2: Now, a reminder to all of our listeners, Sunday is Mother's Day Typically, I'm sure you uh, would send flowers, but you also might send gourmet foods and gift baskets. In fact, 1-800-Flowers.com Incorporated has made more money from the latter than the former in recent times. let bring in Chris McCann right now. He's the president and CEO. Um, Chris, t- t- talk to us first about the product mix. Um, I- I- I've got to guess you sell more flowers on Sunday than any other day of the year, but you sell a lot more than that.
3: Sure, thanks, and thanks for having us. It's just such a great week to honor mothers all around the world. It's just such an important role that they play. And you're right, flowers are the traditional way to say thank you and the way to say happy Mother's Day. But as we've branched out gourmet foods from Harry and David, uh, chocolate covered berries from Shari's Berries, or our newest brand, uh, Personalization Mall, is just doing great this holidays. People are uploading photos to us. We're putting it in a picture frame for them, personalizing the message on the frame, sending it to their recipients. Uh, Mother's Day has become much more than just flowers. And as a company whose mission is to help our customers express, connect, and celebrate, we're just so well-positioned for that. So,
1: Chris, give us a sense of how your business was impacted by the pandemic and maybe how you think your business is going to uh, kind kind of come out of this pandemic.
3: Well, we've been very fortunate, really, that, you know, uh, through all the troubles that we've had, you know, in our personal lives and even the challenges that we faced on the business, we were very fortunate that that we were in front of two major shifts that took place during the pandemic, the tectonic shift from offline sales to online sales. And as an e-commerce platform that's built for growth, we're right in front of that trend. The other one is I think we've all learned that through this time, relationships are so important. the need to stay connected. Need for human beings to express themselves. And that's who we are as a company. So we had good momentum going into the pandemic, good growth momentum. That was accelerated significantly just as the pandemic accelerated change in every area of life. So a year later, just over a year later, we're a much bigger, better, stronger company than we ever were. In fact, we got guided for double-digit growth this quarter on top of phenomenal 61% growth same quarter last year. And based on what we see, we see double-digit growth going forward into our next fiscal year as well.
2: How do you compete in um, the age of the Internet? You know, you've got competitors who are dropping vowels from their names, and you've still got kind of an old-school phone number in front of yours. Um, What do you do to take on the kids in Silicon Valley?
3: Well, I think, first of all, misspelling a a brand name is is not not the smartest thing to do to make people try and figure out, How do you spell that again? (laughs) And over the years, we've built such great brand uh, recognition, such great brand attributes behind the 1-800-Flowers. The younger generation doesn't even realize that it actually was once a phone number. still is, and so we still get some call volume there. But the vast majority, 97% of our business, comes online on the e-commerce channels. And that's why I say over the years, we've gone from this one flower shop to this platform for expressions, connections, and celebrations. With all-star lineup of brands and Harry and David personalization mall, Shari's Berries, one eight hundred flowers, of course, uh, and just constantly expanding the products and services we offer our customers to help them have better relationships in their lives.
2: But what what kind of what kind of tech operation have you got going there? Because I notice, I mean, it's always been the case when I put in flowers on Google, you pop up first. So you've got the search op, a search engine optimization down. Um, it, do you have a, a group of kids working out of Syosset on the Internet? How's this, going on? How's this going down?
3: We have a group of wonderful people actually all over the country, and frank, quite frankly, all over the world on our technology team. And we, we just made a major migration this past year or two into a whole new platform. It's a headless commerce platform built on PWA technology. It resides in the cloud, so it gives us a significantly enhanced flexibility, and scalability. Uh, so it's tremendous capabilities there. But then it really comes down to the people. And as you say, in SEO, we have some great people, this young lady, Sarah, that does a great job heading that unit for us. But all of our digital marketing, we've grown up as a digital marketing company. So we have great expertise. And that's one of the things that brings that we bring to the table for some of the acquisitions that we've done. And in the past two years, we've taken Sherry's Berries, which was a bankrupt company, and it has now been, been a roaring success since we plugged it into our platform. And then most recently, during the pandemic this August, we made our largest acquisition ever, of Personalization Mall. And since moving that into our platform uh, last quarter of the right. holiday season, P-Mall grew 50% for us. So, <laughs> wow. uh, so wheels are turning well. All right, Chris,
1: thanks so much for joining us. We always appreciate chatting with you, getting uh, the latest on the gift-giving business, and nobody does it better uh, than the good folks at 1-800-Flowers.com. Chris McCann, CEO of 1-800-Flowers.com, Incorporated, giving us his thoughts as we head in to Mother's Day weekend.
2: Now, stocks are down on the broader indexes, um, but not as bad in the big indexes as they are in small caps. Let's bring in Dave Wilson right now for a look at what's going on um, with the smaller cap companies. Dave?
4: Dave, got that right, Matt. Smaller companies, bigger declines. That's part of the story of the day. The Russell 2000 index now lower by 1.4%, while the S&P 500 is only down two-tenths. Of a percent. Now, the steepest drop in the Russell belongs to James River Group Holdings, the ticker there J-R-V-R. The insurer has lost more than 32% after raising $175 million in a share sale that amounted to a 15.5% stake. Uh, Regis, ticker RGS, is down about 26.5%. The hair salon owner and franchisor posted a wider loss and lower revenue for the fiscal third quarter than analysts expected in a Bloomberg survey. And U.S. concrete, ticker USCR, is down 23%. First quarter revenue fell more than analysts predicted as a winter storm in Texas hurt demand. Now, uh, the biggest gain to Russell belongs to Avid Technology, the ticker AVID. The maker of audio and video editing software is up 21% after reporting first quarter results that surpassed projections. And Liquidity Services, ticker LQDT, is up 19.5%. The online marketplace for surplus goods had fiscal second quarter results that beat estimates.
1: Bloomberg Stocks Editor Dave Wilson, thank you so much. We appreciate that small cap report. Let's take a look now at the high yield business. We do that today with Manuel Hayes. He's a Senior Portfolio Manager at Mellon. Manuel, thanks so much for joining us here. We've seen in the equity markets really since September, kind of a rotation trade away from some of the big high-tech growth names into some more cyclical names, maybe even some smaller cap, kind of banking on this reopening. Are we seeing something similar in the high yield market as well?
5: hi thank you for having me Uh pleasure to be here uh the short answer is yes we're seeing something very similar in the broader high yield market where as the covid impacted everybody in march and in april we started seeing a lot of sectors get uh, impacted from a spread perspective as they widen in these cyclical sectors think of leisures and airline transportation more consumer cyclical sectors And then as things started stabilizing and there's more optimism built into the vaccine rollouts, we're starting to see those trades perform really well. And so that's been very uh, much in line with what we're seeing in the equity markets. But we're also seeing interesting other dynamics take place in high yield. It's a very exciting time. We're seeing a lot of companies being downgraded from investment grade. We're also seeing a lot of companies getting upgraded back into the investment grade market, providing nice, Telwind performance on both sides. Very interesting time in the high yield market right now,
2: and a ton of issuance, right, Manuel? We see, uh, we saw record issuance last year, four hundred billion dollars in total, and this year in the first quarter we had hundred forty billion dollars in issuance. So, does that mean twenty twenty one is going to be another record year?
5: All expectations is that this issuance pace will continue. A lot of issuance was built into last year after companies were in survival mode. Now, with rates continuing to be as low as they are, you are seeing companies being more opportunistic, looking to refinance their debt, bring down their interest expense, clean up the balance sheet issues that maybe they were encountering last year. So we are seeing record level of issuance. And with issuance, there is a concession that takes place. So when issuers come to the market, they do provide you know, several BIPs to 100 BIPs of concession just to entice investors to participate. And that provides a nice performance pop if you are able to do it in a very diversified way across a lot of these bonds that are issued.
1: Hey, Manuel, give us a sense of uh... – credit quality out there. We're, again, this pandemic, we're in month 14 here roughly. Uh, we do obviously see some really good light at the end of the tunnel here, and a lot of parts of the economy are already you know, out of that tunnel, if, if you will. Talk to us about the credit quality you've seen in your portfolio over, over the last 14 months.
5: Yeah, after the pandemic hit, we saw this huge amount of downgrades take place. So, a lot of bonds that were rated triple B were downgraded over 200 billion across 25 companies. So, naturally, what was the lowest part of the investment grade market migrated down into the high yield market. And with that means now the high yield market, for all intents and purposes, is higher quality, meaning more double B rated securities. And so, you saw the broad high yield market naturally increase its double B exposure. Just around half of the overall exposure in high yield is now rated double B. And that's good for the overall co- credit quality of the companies, uh, the overall market landscape in high yield. And what we see is that segment, that little cohort of double B rated bonds that were downgraded is actually a very, very strong performer. What happens with these bonds as they get migrated, they get forced sold by a lot of investment grades. Uh, holders, indexers, active managers, insurance companies. And so when they enter the high yield market, not only is it higher quality, but you see these bonds come in at these deep discounts, 210 basis points from our analysis. And that shouldn't be the case, but because there is a inefficient bifurcated corporate market, high yield investors are excited. They come in, they get these cheap bonds, high quality, large cap names, and they get out of a steep discount and then they harvest that premium. It's a great time to be a high yield manager as you just are here sitting on the other side taking advantage of this opportunity.
2: That is re- truly fascinating uh, insight, Manuel. Thanks so much for joining us. Manuel Hayes, there, senior portfolio manager at Mellon, talking to us about the fallen angels, getting them at a discount on the way in and then making money,
1: obviously, on the way
2: back out.
1: Well, when the pandemic hit, the lockdowns went into place, and daily lives as we knew them were greatly disrupted. And that includes going to your dentist, going towards your local doctor for you know annual checkups, for example. That all was disrupted. Now, as we come out on the other side, what's that? Are we going to go back to a normal uh, behavior? Let's check in with Stanley Berman. He's the chairman and chief executive officer of Henry Schein. Henry Schein is a worldwide distributor of medical and dental supplies, including vaccines, pharmaceuticals, financial services, and equipment. It is a publicly traded uh, stock. Stanley, thanks so much for joining us here. When do you think and to what degree do you think we will go back to kind of pre-pandemic levels in terms of going to our dentist, hopefully every six months, going to our doctor for that annual checkup? What are you hearing from the doctor's offices that you guys uh, interact with?
6: Thank you, Paul and Matt, for your interview today. A very, very good question. Actually, the data is quite, uh, 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 it's really good, and it's reassuring. Uh, uh, About two weeks ago, the American Dental Association reported that uh, 87% of the population are returning to the dentist, and uh, that's up from, about 60 to 60 or 70% six months ago, and we expect uh, the public to be going back to the dentist in full swing within a few months.
2: I'm excited to go back to the dentist myself.
6: <laughs> well, um, it's good for you. Um, your oral hygiene test and uh, your regular visits are really important because there's a direct correlation between good oral care and good health care.
2: Well, tell me about it. And I'm getting older. You know, so I I, I want to keep these teeth. I don't need to trade them in for any plastic dentures, but um what 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 kind of gear are you selling the most of? Cuz I imagine you did incredibly well with PPE obviously, but that's got to kind of taper off. Um what's 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 in the what's in the future for you rather than, you know, during the pandemic, what are you what are you selling in in the reopening?
6: Right. So of course PPE has been important, Rapid point-of-care tests are very, very important. Physician officers, some dental officers. But the big area has been digital dentistry. In other words, a scan of the mouth rather than using an impression material and uh, to take an impression. And using that to mill a crown or a bridge, chair-side. So it's one visit to the dentist to replace a uh, crown or... Put in a new crown or a place or put in a new bridge.
1: All right. So one of the issues is telehealth, virtual care. They've really come to the fore here during this pandemic. How has that impacted your business? Am I going to make fewer visits to the doctor's office?
6: Um, I'm not sure you're going to make significantly fewer uh, visits, But I think your visit will be more productive because the practitioner will be ready for you when you arrive. Uh, Telehealth has gone up in a significant way. We, of course, offer telehealth systems to our customers. But I think the visit will be much more productive uh, as the practitioner will be ready for you, the staff will be ready. And I think this hybrid healthcare system will be very, very effective in increasing the quality of uh, health in this country.
2: In terms of uh, vaccines, um, are people coming in, you think, to the dentist to get vaccine? And then uh, can they can they do that? Can the can the dental hygienist give you a vaccine? Well, I think we've done a terrific
6: job in rolling out the first phase of, of vaccination. A lot of people have the vaccination, but we have a challenge. It's relatively stalled. There's vaccine hesitancy and only 38 percent. Of physicians in the United States are offering vaccines and a small amount of dentists. This is because the system is not yet geared up to providing office based practitioners with uh, vaccines. Uh, the majority of Americans, of course, receive. Their flu, traditional flu vaccine, their uh, other vaccines. In fact, almost seventy percent from an office-based practitioner who's very much trusted. And we are advocating for a greater allocation of vaccine to be provided to office-based dentists and physicians.
1: So, Stanley, that kind of goes to the issue here of you know hesitancy of the vaccine here. What do you? What would you like to see in terms of? programs to address vaccine hesitancy? Because it's not just for the COVID vaccine. We've had, you know, anti-vaxxers, for lack of a better term, um, you, know, f- you know, throughout the country about different vaccines. But how do we overcome that? I think the number one priority is to put the physicians and the dentists
6: in the driver's seat on vaccine education. Physicians and dentists are in every community, multiple practitioners in every community And we need to engage the office-based trusted dentist and physician in educating the public on the importance of vaccines. We need to allocate vaccines, the COVID vaccines to these office-based practitioners. And we need to do it quickly and make it easy for them to have access to these vaccines. Right now, it's not easy. A lot of paperwork for the practitioners, yet Mm. they can easily obtain other kinds of vaccines. We need to make the COVID vaccine, easily accessible to office-based practitioners.
2: Stanley, away from, maybe away from your business and, and thinking more about the health and welfare of mankind, how concerned are you about what we're seeing in India and what we could soon see? You know, we could see similar um, problem spikes in Africa, in South America. Um, what do you think needs to be done about that?
6: I'm very, very concerned for two reasons, there's a morality issue and there's also the issue of ensuring that our own safety is protected. <coughs> Excuse me, vaccines, sorry, uh, the viruses do not have passports, do, cannot be kept out through visas. We need to make sure that the entire world has access to pp quality pp that we know works, tests, rapid tests for COVID and the vaccine. And I'm fearful that the wealthier countries in the world are keeping these products for ourselves. Yes, it's not moral. But from a practical point of view, if we don't provide these products to the whole world, this virus will not be contained.
2: All right, Stanley, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, I think really important to get your take on this and also obviously great to hear about the business at Henry Shine. Stanley Bergman is the chairman and chief executive officer, and he has uh, been, been incredibly active, written a letter um, to Congress uh, um, about why this issue can't be overlooked and the, the direct consequences in terms of um, vaccine acceptance. This is Bloomberg. Let's get now to Mark Barrybo. He joins us from Jenison Associates, the Fundamental Equity and Fixed Income Business of PGM, and he is their head of global equity. Uh, Mark, we've seen this big rotation, and we've been talking about it for months and months now, but you don't think investors should make major changes to their portfolios during market rotations, instead focusing on investing for the longer term. How long term are you thinking?
7: Well, you know, we're typically going to look out, um, you know, the next three years, uh, just in terms of secular trends, and um, you know, obviously uh, rotations can be painful, particularly if you're a growth investor in this environment. But actually, there's some really good stocks setting up here. Uh, we think going into the second half of the year and into 2022. So it's it's a little unusual to say that a good economy is bad for tech because. Um, it, that would be the first cycle we've ever had where a good economy is bad for tech a good economy is good for tech so I think it's a little bit overdone so you don't think this rotation is going to stick is basically what you're saying no I think once you as you're working through earnings we're seeing some amazing prints uh, out of big companies like Apple or Amazon uh, Google Tesla etc and um, you know Mercado MercadoLibre last night uh, out of Latin America and uh these leading companies uh, are building major platforms that that are are going to you know thrive for years to come we think and so i think once this cyclical kind of you know rally you know reaches its uh, crescendo as it were uh, because there is nothing secular about it it's just a cyclical bounce off the bottom uh, it's going to be investors are just going to win with companies that are that are gaining market share and uh, creating goods and services that people really like. And and I think, you know, you're just back to basic fundamentals instead of just uh, macro trading.
4: So
1: how do you generate alpha in an with a strategy like that, Mark, in, a, in the context of not really going to where the puck is going Uh, And and over the last, you know, kind of nine months, 10 months, it's been some of those cyclical trades, maybe even some of the small caps as well.
7: Yeah, no, you know, we've, of course, over the last year, uh, as long as you're in the right names, you can consistently generate alpha. Of course, if if the whole cluster sells off uh, as it did in March, you know, obviously in one month, it's tough. So. What we try to do is not let all the short-term movement get in the way of evaluating how big can a specific company become, how dominant uh, in its particular niche, how important is that company to a local market, and and if you approach it from that perspective, you tend to get some really good long-term investments that pay off, um, although every one of them periodically is going to take a breather, right, because sometimes they'll get ahead of themselves as stocks, but you know, if you look at Amazon, for example, it's kind of stunning. Uh, you know, they they just reported forty four percent revenue growth on a multi hundred billion dollar revenue base, and um, y- you know, you just don't find scale like that generally in the market. Uh, so their revenues in the first quarter were up forty four percent year over year. The stock's only up thirty nine percent year over year. So. There seems to be a disconnect. Uh, it's, it, not, not, it's not 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 extended. It, it's makes one go, of the compelling... it, it makes sense that you can't go more compelling It makes sense that you can't
2: go wrong there with the with the big fan companies. I mean Amazon is just a killer, right? But what do you like below um, you know trillion dollar valuations? What do you like <laughs> in terms of sectors other than Amazon, Apple, um, you know Tesla, Google?
7: Sure. Well, you know, it's what's really interesting. Okay, if you if you take a step back and you say, what is, what's the most important trend that's out there today that's shaping new business formation, uh, shaping uh, the industry structure, and it's this digital transformation of the consumer. It's this direct to consumer business model. So it doesn't matter if you're a really powerful brand like Louis Vuitton or uh, Nike. Um, you you need to um, go direct to consumer. You you need that relationship, and you either do it through your own private store base or your own website that you control so you can monitor inventory pricing um, uh, and and control your own destiny. So what we see in that movement is both – Early days of direct-to-consumer sales, like in e-commerce in Latin America, where it's very underpenetrated. So that's like Mercado Libre. I mean, just ironically reported last night, sales up 158 percent constant currency. Uh, Brazil, Mexico, Argentina, they're right. big markets, all up triple digit. I mean, just an amazing uh, company. Um, and of course, yep. they're building a digital payments platform as well to. Grease the skids of commerce uh, right. in markets where people don't have credit cards or there is low penetration, and so you have, you know, look to emerging markets for these right. this next. Hey, Mark, generation. I think we got
1: we're got to leave it there just because of time, but uh, we really appreciate you taking the time. Mark Barrypo, head of global equity, Jenison Associates.
2: Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Markets podcast. You can subscribe and listen to interviews at Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you prefer. I'm Matt Miller.
1: I'm on Twitter at MattMiller1973. And I'm Paul Sweeney. I'm on Twitter at P.T. Sweeney. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide at Bloomberg Radio.
0: The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg.